Have you ever noticed how narcissists love to claim that they've never worked harder and they'll even go to therapy, yet nothing at home seems to change? In this episode, Tara and I talk more about this common phenomenon, and the self-help tip is a simple exercise to help you test real change from lip service. And be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Become a subscriber at breakingfreewithcarrieandtara.substack.com and get your free video gift of what we wish we knew then that we now know. Become a subscriber and you'll get your free gift today. Thank you for joining us on Breaking Free from Narcissistic Abuse. I'm Dr. Carrie Kerr McAvoy, a mental health specialist with over 20 years of counseling experience. And I'm Tara Blair Ball, a certified relationship coach. This is a listener supported podcast. Please consider becoming a supporter of the show for less than a cup of coffee. I have a feeling this is not something that's new to me, but something you probably experienced as well. But when I got into the relationship with a narcissist, I discovered right at the top, right after we got married, that he was cheating and that there were some really significant issues that we were facing. He admitted to me that he was a sex addict and that he needed help. We jumped into treatment, started seeing a specialist. We even went to an intensive outpatient treatment center for three days before we moved internationally. And then once we arrived internationally, we immediately began to look for treatment centers. He did and I did. I'm using we because both the narcissist and I both did that. And the entire time we were in that relationship, he was in therapy. And he was claiming over and over that he had never worked so hard. So when I got out of the relationship and I started researching stuff for Love You More, my memoir, I discovered that he was actively acting out, like propositioning women. He was on sex sites. He was doing all sorts of stuff that was clearly indicators that he wasn't working in treatment, that his claims of changing wasn't authentic. I'm trying to think right now, do I believe any of that? I think sometimes he meant that he had a desire Maybe he was saying, I wish I could change, but I, I think overall a lot of it was just lip service. He was telling me what he knew I wanted to hear, that he didn't want me to walk out because we had a business together. So it wasn't just he would lose the relationship. He wasn't working. He was dependent on me financially. So he would lose a way of life, lose a home. He would lose the car. He would lose everything. He would be on the street. And I don't think he wanted that. I don't think he wanted to end up on the street. So I think he was telling me that because he didn't have the rest of his life lined up. He didn't have another out, you know, he was depending on me. So I now don't believe that he was changing. I think it was all just a lie. So have you heard of this before? Did you experience something like this before? <laughs> and then how do we know when someone's really doing the work or not? So I would love to hear what your thoughts are on this, Tara. Yeah. So I met my narcissistic ex in a 12-step fellowship. And whether or not you know about a 12-step fellowship, 12-step fellowships do a practice called working steps, which is sort of a self-reflection, self-awareness practice that you do for the rest of your life. So when I met him, he was in a 12-step fellowship. He also was in therapy. We were dating maybe three months when we went to couples therapy together to navigate some issues as we were beginning to date. And then we stayed in couples therapy for years together. He was in individual therapy. I was in individual therapy. We did couples therapy. We also did a fellowship together called Recovering Couples Anonymous, which again is another you work steps as a couple. So we were always involved in self-reflection, self-awareness practices, learning to replace unhealthy behaviors with healthy behaviors. We were always in those practices, but I never saw 
a degree of change in my ex. And that's because I believe that just because he was in those didn't mean he was actually applying them. <laughs> in order to change in therapy or or in a 12-step fellowship, there has to be a degree of self-awareness and self-reflection. And my narcissistic ex, I absolutely believe, felt that he was just fine the way that he was and didn't need to change. And there wasn't any reason to change. And mind you, this whole time, he was also actively using drugs. Here he is pretending to be sober and clean and advising other men on how to be sober and clean and even holding service positions in our area that, again, it was all this guise or facade that he was this clean individual. He had a great recovery. He was he was spiritually centered, whatever. And he just wasn't. He mm -hmm. absolutely wasn't. What I saw and knew as his partner is that he could not take responsibility. He could not take accountability. And both of those things how how can you change if you're not going to own your own part? And he didn't want to. And I don't think any narcissist wants to own their part. I absolutely believe that they want to remain a victim and remain in the victim mentality because then they don't have to feel responsible for anything. Did you know that? I know I didn't know. Did you know in the middle of all that that it wasn't a sincere effort on his part? I don't know if I would have seen it as insincere. I absolutely knew it wasn't working. I absolutely mm, knew that mm. because if it was working, wouldn't I see it in our home? Wouldn't I see it behind closed doors in our bedroom? Wouldn't I see a, a degree of him, for example, owning that he shouldn't have screamed at me or called me a bitch in an argument and that that wasn't okay or acceptable? Wouldn't I see that? And I wasn't. So it could have been working. It just none of it, none of that work was showing up in our relationship. And that's honestly, to me, that's where it mattered most. If you're doing the work, it should show up in changes in our relationship. And it wasn't. I think I didn't realize that there should be changes showing up in our relationship, mm. that I had gotten so acclimated to people saying mm. that they're trying and saying that they mean well, that I assumed Bad behavior was just what happened in relationships, which now today, I don't believe that today, but the me that I was in that relationship with the narcissist, I I heard all of that. And to me, that was so familiar to what I'd seen before that I thought, yeah, okay, he, at least he's going to therapy and he's, yeah. he's, he's trying. I, I would like give him all these breaks. He's trying, he's going to therapy and that's a big time commitment. Now there's a part of me now, I'm not even sure he went to these sessions. I mean, mm -hmm. you can drive away and you can, you can set a phone in a certain spot. So it looks, cause if we had 360 turned on. That's one thing a lot of sex addict partners do is they end up with these, <clears throat> these app sharing, GPS you know, location tracking. sharing programs. Yeah. And so you can, this person could potentially park some spot near therapy and leave the phone in the car and then do whatever they want to do. And I have a suspicion he did that quite a few times, but I that was what I knew. I thought it was good enough. And the me today that I, I feel angry about that. I, looking back as a therapist, I should have known that that wasn't good enough. I should have expected more out of him. I would have considered his behavior if it, I had been his clinician involved in that case, a treatment failure. But as a wife, I didn't know better. 
That's why I asked you if you knew, did you, I mean, you, you knew because the behavior hadn't changed, but did you know that you deserved better than that? I absolutely did not think I deserved better than that. And that's, that's where my self-esteem was. I absolutely felt that what was happening to me was because there was something wrong with me that I was unlovable, that I was, that I did not deserve love and respect. It didn't mean that I still had these moments of sort of pushing back or fighting and asking and demanding what I wanted and what I saw I felt other people had. You know, I had people in my life who I would sometimes confide in who would say, that's really not okay. You know, that's really abusive. That's really X, Y, Z. And I would come back and tell my narcissistic excess, like, hey, so-and-so said you were abusive. (laughs) And, you know... I didn't know that I was then setting up a target for and I think part of that was my was my attempt to fight out of that relationship. It was very small for a long time, but that voice in my head got louder and louder the more I realized what was actually happening in the relationship. And and I'll I'll just say the change. The change for for me is when I found drugs in my house. That was an absolute shattering of everything that I had. Up until I found drugs in my house, I thought the problems were all me, that they were all fixable, that they were all manageable, that my ex was doing the best that he could. And because his best wasn't any better, clearly it was something wrong with me. When I found drugs in my house, when I found out that motherfucker had been lying to me for eight years, that was a different story. That that was, you had intentionally conned me and hid this from me, knowing that if I had found it, this relationship would have ended. And so that was a big change. But and I think a lot of us experience this is because someone tells us that they're trying and we're giving them these chances when they're trying doesn't somehow implement into the behavior that we would hope or like from them. We start to look at us. And and I also heard messages like, it's your fault. If you hadn't said that, I wouldn't have reacted this way. If you had brought it up this way or at this time or whatever. And so I really spent a lot of time, I really spent too much time looking at how to inform and change and improve my own communication in that relationship, which which is great. I'm a great communicator today. I, I gave you a lot of practice. All, all, the, all those lessons were awesome. I just was attempting to communicate with someone who didn't care. Yeah. Who yeah. didn't want to hear me and was never going to hear me. Yeah. Yeah. My narcissist did not want to hear me, was never going to hear me. Yeah. Regardless of how I tried, how I worded it, what time of day I, I said it, it didn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't take it to the part of seeing it as something wrong with me. I just didn't think that things ever get, would get any better. I thought that wanting more, seeing a connected relationship was me expecting too much. I didn't internalize it as me being flawed. I just thought my expectations were wrong, that I needed to modify that, that I needed to give him the benefit of doubt. And and I realized after I got out of this relationship, when I analyzed my social support system and the messaging that I got over the years, I discovered one of the things that I got was whenever somebody did something bad in my extended family, my family would rush to justify that person's behavior And then Mm. like pile on the victim, the pile on the one hurt for having any reaction that we needed to extend that person mercy and grace and understanding and sympathy because they meant well, they just didn't behave well. 
So mm-hmm. I gotten so much of that that I was doing it to myself in that relationship that I should have been more gracious and more patient and more understanding. And so one of the things I didn't do, and now I I hope I have the ability to do it today. I haven't been put in the position to see if I could, but I didn't even get that angry. Here he is, the narcissist is doing these horrific, awful things that are extremely shattering. And I never screamed at him. I never had a meltdown and a crying rage at him. I never lost it. I never stormed out. I was calm, collected, and showed up, stayed present. And I look back and I think, that's ridiculous. I deserve better than, I deserve to have the space to be hurt. I deserve the space to be angry about this stuff. That's the stuff sometimes I think of, I wish I could go back and just lose it. But I I believed him. I believed he was working because that's what I'd saw my entire life. And that was the pattern. And and so when he said it, it's like, yeah, well, I've heard this before. And I never thought to question, like I said, I do treatment plans with clients. We do check-ins. We assess whether or not it's working. But I never thought to do it in my own life. That's crazy. It's funny. That's actually called the Solomon's Paradox. And the term is taken from King Solomon in the Bible, who was such a good advisor, yet his personal life was shit. And it's always the idea that it is impossible to judge a situation that we are personally involved in, that we have skin in, when we're involved in it. Yeah. And and they, there are distancing strategies we have to employ to be able to do that. So thinking about, would I be okay? Like you've said plenty of times, would I be okay if this was happening to a friend? Or how would I advise a friend who told me this exact advice? Or, you know, if I was writing about this situation in a third person, how what would I do or say or want that person to do or say? But I, I think, especially for me, my feelings so blinded me to what was happening, made it impossible for me to judge it in a sane, rational, logical way, because I was also in an insane situation as you were too. Yeah. And there's no way to add sanity <laughs> into in, in an insane environment. Yeah. There just wasn't. And I will say as someone who did lose it in multiple relationships, utterly fucking lost it, way reactively abusive very much on the lines of mutually abusive. I don't really recommend that either. I, you know, I know that you missed out on it. Like how, <laughs> you know, I'm just telling you, it doesn't it doesn't feel good when you then have to reconcile that shame of that's not the person that I am. Mm-hmm. That's not the mm-hmm. person that I want to be. Like hearing you say that you didn't yell or anything like that. I'm a little jealous. <laughs> well, don't be because it, I wasn't being true to me either. Now, I hear that you felt like when you were losing it, you weren't being true to you, but I wasn't being true to me either. Being composed or being a screaming Mimi, both ends are betrayals of self. I wish I could have been somewhere in the center, and I wasn't. Yeah. I didn't express my pain. I should have had the space to do that. So if you were talking to yourself today, to the self that was in that relationship. What would you have said to yourself? Girl, this is what you need to be looking for. Are you seeing these things? I know that I'd love to hear each other share because I think this is one of the most common problems I hear. People reach out and say, he's doing this or she's doing this. The narcissist is trying this and this and this, but it's not getting any better. I don't know what to do. This is so common. So what would you say to yourself today, Tara, if you were your own coach? One thing I wish that I absolutely had done is ask questions with the intention of assessing 
are their words aligning with their actions? My ex told me all the time that he was trying and trying to him looked like going to therapy sessions. And I remember near the end of our of our relationship, me saying to him, you just going to therapy sessions isn't fucking working. Like, do you not see that? <laughs> like, uh, you know, have you thought about reading a book, listening to a podcast, like literally anything else? And he was like, no. Wow. And I that, that is really what I, I really wish that I had asked more questions like that earlier on, that when someone tells me that they're trying to ask, how are you trying? What mm-hmm. action steps are you putting into place to do beyond just you showing up for an hour with a therapist? Because he, my ex absolutely was not able to hold himself accountable, had no self-reflection or self-awareness to get to a place of, of improvement. But now, mine claimed that he was, he was, we were re- reading books together. He was reading books on his own. We were reading books together. He claimed to be doing other outside activities. In addition to that, he even wanted us to watch a movie that had been recommended by his therapist and we watched it together. I mean, we we're doing a lot of the extra stuff. Yeah. So I'm saying, you can, and, but now I'm realizing all of that was just subterfuge. It was just, yeah, it was yeah. just, uh, it was all just a, a, a screen. He was just giving me a presentation of what he knew I wanted to see in order for things not to change. Right. So I, I really feel like, yeah, I agree. Their, their actions have to follow up with their words. I think we also need to see someone's a change in the trajectory of their behavior. We should see someone working to be different. Like, let's take a completely different situation. If somebody embezzled at work and it was really, really important to them that they wanted to stay in that job and they didn't want to be fired, you would see them like go out of their way to handle money differently. They would also take extra steps to relieve their boss's concerns. They would tell their boss every move that they're making with every possible receipt. If they were to spend money on anything, they would make sure that that receipt matched what they said that that item cost. There would be above and beyond action and it wouldn't be harangued out of them. It wouldn't have to be demanded. It wouldn't be any kind of conversation. even prompted. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There would be this like, exactly like this. I want this to work. I'm invested. So I'm doing these things in order to relieve your mind. And there would also be a lot of remorse. You'd see real Mm -hmm. brokenness around these things. I mean, even in the 12 step program, when someone truly starts to make the conversion, you see complete buy-in and utter, mm-hmm. utter wretched brokenness. Like, this is not who I want to be. I can't stand myself. But I'm looking back and I never saw that with my partner. The narcissist didn't, he wasn't a broken man. He just was somebody who didn't want his cushy life taken away from him. That's all. And he was then resentful. Actually, if I had to like analyze his behavior, it was contemptuous and resentful resentful that I expected anything out of him. He felt put out that this was the the expect that he, that I should care that he felt like he was working hard. That should be enough in itself. To me, it was just, it, there, there wasn't an attitude of, I know this is, again, this is a very religious term, but there was no attitude of repentance. There was no attitude mm-hmm. of that at all at any level. And so now the me today said, okay, you can do a lot of really great things that look wonderful on paper, but if I don't see a heart change, I don't buy it. In 12-step fellowships a lot, they use an acronym for God because, you know, some people can struggle with the word God. They might use gift of desperation instead. And that has always resonated with me because those of us who are desperate 
enough to change, we'll do what we need to do. And it will be obvious to those around us. Sometimes it will be more obvious to those around us than it is to ourselves Mm -hmm. that we're making those active changes. And it doesn't sound like your ex was desperate to change. And my ex absolutely wasn't desperate to change. And I know for my ex is that he never thought I would leave. I was with him for almost 10 years. He never thought I would leave. I I absolutely don't think he thought I would leave until the divorce was finalized. Wow. Wow. I I never heard that part before. That's fascinating. We sold a house, a house that we had shared together. And afterward, I remember him saying something to me like, I was having to have surgery to have a hysterectomy. And he said, I would be okay if these were my only kids. And I was like, you can have other kids with somebody else. <laughs> like, wow. like, like I'm going to be losing my womb, which I didn't end up having to lose my womb. I, you know, I got remarried and got pregnant again. But he, I mean, he could have kids with other people. You know, he still could. So I don't know. Wow. Yeah, I I agree with you. I love that idea of desperation. We need to see not our desperation. We need to be standing quietly present <laughs> but see utter desperation on the other person's part to make something be profoundly different for the relationship to be saved. And if Mm -hmm. we don't see that, I don't think you're going to have anything authentic. I don't think there's going to be real change here. I'm kind of hopeless about that, actually, unless you see that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So for today's self-help tip, and I don't have a really good title for this one is, but it's how to challenge the change that the narcissist mm. in your life is claiming that they have made. So I have this little exercise that you can do. Identify five to 10 different things that you wish that were really different, that they need to be doable, that most couples are doing. Can't be something extraordinary. Like if you said, I want them to bring me flowers every week, that to me, that's a fail. That's not a good one. But if you would like them not to call you a name when you're arguing, mm-hmm. I think that's a totally reasonable expectation. Mm -hmm. But to identify five to 10 measurable, reasonable expectations that you have that you think are signs of a healthy relationship. But what I want you to do is I want you to keep those items to yourself except for three. And when the narcissist says to you, well, I really want us to work and I'm working really hard to change, you can say to them, three of the items. Make it maybe three of the simpler ones. Maybe make one of them super important to you. But in other words, don't make them the most important, but just pick three randomly or pick three that are important, but not that important. And say, I have a list of five to 10 things that I'm watching for, but I'll tell you three. And then you tell them the three items. And then I want you to wait, wait at least six months. It needs to be some time because change happens slow. And then say to this person, we'll revisit this, whether or not we're gonna last or not. And we're going to talk about whether or not there's been enough change. And then you come back at the end of that time period and then you evaluate in yourself how they're doing on all five to 10 items. But you talk to them about the three that you mentioned. You never tell them the rest of the list. What happens in these narcissistic relationships is that they give us what we want. Doesn't mean they profoundly as a person changed. They just changed enough to get us off their back. So this is a great way to test somebody's motivation. A true person who's wanting things to work out, who's in a state of desperation, is going to completely turn their life over, upside down and backwards to make sure that things work out between the two of you. But somebody who's just giving you lip service, they're going to give you the bare minimum. And this is a great way to test whether or not you're getting the bare minimum or not. I love that. 
I did something similar, actually, with my narcissistic ex. I did, but I did a time limit. I, I had a last talk. I was like, these are the things I need to change. These are making my life miserable. These are making it difficult for me to want to remain in this relationship. I need these things to change. And then I set a time limit in my head that I did not communicate. And I made it reasonable, too. I think mine was like nine months or something like that. I made it reasonable considering the fact that, yes, it does take people time to change. I figured it would take him time to, to find somebody to work with, all that kind of stuff. And then I just sat back and I watched. I didn't remind him. I didn't do any of that. And when the time limit came up, I was like, well, that's clearly you've done fucking nothing. <laughs> like, so clear. Thank you. Because my trouble, and I think a lot of our listeners can probably relate, is we hold on to that training thinking, oh, th- next month. Next month, we'll see change. Next month after that. Next month after that. Next month after that. And then we, we look back and we've, we've sunk two years of our lives into this, into just waiting and hoping that this person will change. And yeah. for me, having some kind of time limit, whatever someone chooses to do, I think is very important because we cannot wait for someone to change forever. We can't. It's not fair to us. No. Absolutely not. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I should have done that. I didn't do it. I wish I would have done it. I think it would have shown so much. It would have been so illuminating. I really wish I could have done it. So I would love to know anyone who tries this, get back to us and let us know how that works. I'd love to hear about that. Well, you know, Carrie, you could get into another narcissistic relationship and just come on, just like, just try it out and see how it goes. (laughs) Lovely. Yeah. We'll right work on that. Thank you for joining us today. Have a question or comment? Email us at hello at breakingfreewithcarrietara.com. If this episode has been helpful, consider becoming a supporter. And if you haven't yet, make sure to follow us at Breaking Free from Narc Abuse on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. We'll see you back here next time.